from Hong Kong, Chicago, and the city of Stoke-on-Trent. This is the Classic Lenses Podcast. Yippee! Hello and welcome to episode 121. My name is Simon Forster and I'm joined by Johnny Sisson and Perry G. Hello, Johnny. Hello. <laughs> and hello, What's Perry. What's so funny, Simon? <laughs> I have no idea. Something's ticking uh, me. Um, hello, Perry. Hello, hello. And uh, we are also joined uh, by a returning guest uh, in the form of Nick Renaissance Man Lyle. Um, hi, Nick. How are you doing? Hello. <laughs> um, just as a little reminder there, Nick is uh, one of... Actually, when last time I actually introduced him, was you were on the show in episode 61, uh, I think it was. I introduced you as one half of the Homemade Camera podcast, uh, but now you're merely a third. Uh, that's true. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's great, great to have you with us, Nick. And um, and how we're doing this week's show, we're uh, effectively having Nick on as a as a fourth uh, host, with him being a professional podcaster as he is, um, and he's already been on the show before. Um, we've uh, asked Nick to to just join us in our. Uh, usual chat because there's been a few things that Nick's been talking about and mainly chatting to Perry in the uh, in our Facebook group that uh, I think it'd be a, a good to expand on that um, on on the podcast so uh, uh, which we'll we'll get round to so uh, let's start off as we normally do and head over to the People's Republic of Hong Kong hello Perry oh, oh that's, that's yeah <laughs> Extra, extra poignant today. Oh, it's rough, guys. We're not, we're not doing so hot. Uh, just before we started recording, I was gone through and you know deleted as many of my old Facebook posts as I can because tomorrow, uh, having the wrong opinion here could send you to jail for life. You know, a day after the news broke that uh, they've been forcefully sterilizing Uyghur women, uh, now we have this. So bad. Bad times to be uh, under Chinese. At, at least you don't have to worry about protesting anymore. What's the f- point? <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> you, just, well. you just you just sit at home and not say anything to anyone now. Yeah, mm, mm, I mean, I don't think the, that I don't think that's possible. No, the serious <laughs> point is, you know, you're going to hear a lot less out of Hong Kong in the next couple of weeks, yeah, months, and years, and it's it's not because, and, and then and then they're going to turn around and say that that's evidence that the dissent is on but it just means that the repression has worked yeah. uh so it's it's kind of pretty pretty depressing all around yeah um so on that note uh i mean it's canada day tomorrow so at least there's something you know i've always found it a bit curious that canada day and hong kong sar establishment day were the same day uh but at least i can celebrate canada day tomorrow uh, have some have some poutine chug some maple syrup <laughs> So aside aside from like everything falling apart uh, here again, uh, also be careful. You know the, the the theme this year has been that everything that happens to me happens to you guys like three months later. Yeah. <laughs> so so watch out. Uh, but yeah, other than that, photographically it's actually been pretty good. We've had we've had some really nice weather. Um, so I've sort of partly been continuing my quest for low contrast, low saturation lenses to use on Cinestill, which we'll talk about in a bit. Um, but I've been out shooting with my uh, with my Pen F, 
Um, I got my, I got that Schneider Kreuznach Zenon that uh, Johnny and I have consecutive serial numbers of uh, on my Pen F via a lovely adapter, and uh, that's turned out quite nice. It's a lovely little lens. Uh, I still haven't figured out a way to shoot it on full frame because it doesn't work. It's exact amount, but it doesn't work on the Topcon RE Super. Hmm. Um, and I've tried to get it on my uh, Spotmatic M42, but that doesn't work either. So I can shoot it. The only camera I can shoot it on other than the Pen F half frame is uh, my Xacta Varex. So that's that's not quite ideal. Uh, so, what, what's the, so what's the problem? Why won't you go on the Topcon? Uh, it'll fit, but the uh, the mirror hits the rear because the rear element sticks out beyond the lens mount, and that mirror is huge. Um, on Mike Ekman's review of the Topcon RE Super, uh, he actually encounters exactly the same problem with exactly the same lens, uh, and so that's why yeah, that's why it won't work. I, I can't. I can, it doesn't work on mine either. So I can third that experience. Yeah, I mean it. it there are not a lot of exacta lenses where the rear protrudes beyond the mount, yeah. um, and I don't. And obviously, none of the RE uh, RE Auto lenses do. So I guess when Topcon made the RE Super, they just weren't thinking about people putting stuff like that Zenon on it. So, so you you actually need something with a short flange back distance, so it has a dinky mirror. Yeah, like a Minolta or a Konica or something. I've got a. A bunch of extra Minoltas and Konicas if you want to try that. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is a, pretty much the same path that Simon is going down, but for different reasons. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that it, the day may come to that, but uh, I'm not that desperate to shoot that lens on, on anything else. Um, other than that, uh, I have, well, on the internet, uh, I've been sort of, relentlessly trolled over the last couple of weeks by people like Best Vintage Lens and Ricardo Bayon and uh, uh, Rob Jameson and a couple of others where every time I post something now on Instagram, I just get this flood of comments coming in telling me that my photos are worse than my girlfriend's. Uh. <laughs> that's, that's, called, that's called honesty and uh, constructive criticism, Perry. Yeah, yeah, it's fair enough. It's fair enough. It's a, uh, it's become a consistent theme now, to the point where sometimes she and I will just, you know, because we go shooting together quite a lot. She and I will often just post a, uh, an image at the same time and just wait for Robbie J in particular uh, to come in and comment that hers is better, and that's been quite consistent. So maybe, perhaps, if you stand directly behind her and mimic her movements. Oh, hey, we we uh, we definitely have multiple copies of the same shot um, that we've each taken, and so often it's a case of who posts theirs first uh, to kind of kind of claim that image. But but I mean, on a serious note, it is quite nice. Um, you know, I was talking to Robbie J about this. His wife is not really into photography and just doesn't let him carry loads of cameras around. It is nice having a partner who is into the hobby as well. Um, and so being able to kind of go out and shoot, uh, even if the images are the same, it's, 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 yeah, it's nice. It's nice to have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so other than that, I have had a few pretty exciting arrivals as well. Um, there was one thing I ordered ages ago, uh, and it finally arrived from Germany after a long coronavirus delay. And that is this thing to continue the theme of Biogon obsession, 
we got a nice 21 millimeter f 4.5 uh contacts rf biogon which i've been shooting relentlessly on my uh nikon s2 that is a sweet lens and the crazy thing about this lens is here's the 35 you can see they look pretty much identical yeah they look essentially the same size yep that's that's, that's really helpful for our, for, for our listeners as well to be able to see that so uh, yeah that's right thank you for that perry yep it looks like the same mount only they sawed it down a little bit shorter for the 21 yeah they they look yeah, they look pretty much the same, um, which makes sense. You know, it saves them on production. Uh, and then the other thing I found locally just a couple of days ago uh, was, you know, I've been looking for uncoated lenses, and this leads on to a conversation with Nick here. Um, and one of the things I've been wanting uncoated lenses for was to get more muted colors and more muted look on Cinestill, which today I've been having a bit of a chat with Danny Roberts, who's local here. Uh, and we've been chatting on the Facebook group about whether or not overexposing the film or rating it at 500 uh, will also sort of contribute to that look. Um, but last time we mentioned how I was reluctant to use sonar lenses, even uncoated ones, uh, because the sonar formula was designed to kind of increase contrast without, uh, without advanced <laughs> lens coatings. But I found this collapsible uh, 50 millimeter F2 Carl Zeiss Jena sonar in really good condition uh, for about a hundred bucks, which, which is I think a bit of a steal. And this lens is just gorgeous. I mean, look at this thing. Mm. <laughs> Once again, listeners can't see it. But. I've had one of those rabbit ear sonars on my want list, like forever. The uncoated ones, uh-huh. exactly like you have there. Those are really cool lenses. Yeah, and this one, you know, the front element is really clean. There's only a couple of cleaning marks. There's no haze. Yeah, it's unusual. It, it, it came with a contacts three, um, which I. I that camera is a huge pain, so I'm not going to use it. But that was a nice kind of freebie as well. But it, this this does, you know, I compared this today against the 1.5 Opton Sonar um, on an Amadeo on digital, and and they do look really different. Uh, the colors are definitely a lot more muted. But but I was just reading um, earlier today or last night about an effect on uncoated lenses that I've seen but never really understood. Um, you guys know about blooming. Uh, that sounds familiar. Yeah, so it, it's the idea that. Uh, sorry, Simon, did you want to jump in there? No, no. I, I mean, I was, I was just going to say that it's a word that I've heard, but until you actually shared that that article with me, it was not something I had any kind of specific knowledge of. But I have seen the the effect on a few times, and I've just just generally viewed it as being a defect and probably something mm-hmm. that I wouldn't actually want to have in a lens. But uh, that might not be a, a, a good way of looking at it. Yeah, so, so I've been reading up on this, and it's really interesting because I have noticed a couple of times that on some of my uncoated lenses, there are patches of reflective color on the front or rear element, uh, which look a little bit like coating, but it doesn't make sense because it's an uncoated lens. Uh, and it obviously doesn't cover the entire lens. So apparently what this is is something called blooming, which is oxidation on the front element uh, or rear element of the lens. And... Oxidation, this form of oxidation, uh, apparently has a very similar visual effect to coating and, in fact, inspired uh, the original coatings as well. So what I read, and, and it would be great if someone could verify this, is that uh, lens designers, specifically like Zeiss lens designers and some of the Taylor Hobson guys uh, back in the day, noticed that lenses, uncoated lenses with blooming on them had 
you know, they, they looked nicer. They had sort of better contrast and, and overall rendition. And they figured, hey, if this layer of oxidation on the front is both reducing flare and also protecting the front of the lens somewhat, then maybe we can artificially add that to the glass. And that, that was sort of what drove the idea of lens coating, artificial lens coatings in the first place. Yeah, I read that too. And an early, apparently early coatings could easily be cleaned off. And it was uh, the big challenge was to make coatings that didn't just wipe off with the, uh, when you cleaned them. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't wait to shoot this sonar. Um, hopefully it yields less contrasty results than those Zeiss lenses from last time. Um, but a lot of this Nick was triggered by the things that you were posting about using different films with, uh, different lenses. And, um, I'm wondering if, have you, have you delved into that any further or, or have you any particular pairings of film and lens that you're finding really do something different for you? Well, what happened is I, I'm obsessively file things in Flickr so that I can easily go back and look at an album uh, without doing a search and see everything I've done with a certain film or everything I've done with a certain camera. And it just it gives me a way to compare. And I need to do that because, you know, I get caught up in one way of doing things and it's it can be a it can be a dead end if I don't kind of look around and see what alternatives there are. It's just something I've been thinking about a lot. Um, and as far as particular combinations, what I've found is that for me, with color print film, I'm really attracted to lenses made in the mid-1950s. Mm. And it's kind of that time when coatings first came in, but the lens designs were still very old-fashioned and simple. That That is sort of my favorite combination. And I'm... In agreement with you, I think that modern films can be too saturated and too contrasty, and that come going shooting them with some of those older lenses, I find more appealing, especially with color print film. There's a ton more experimenting to do, um, but my favorite pretty much are the simple Zeiss and Voigtlander lenses from the mid 1950s, with you know portraits and. Cinestill and the, the richer, more modern films. Mm-hmm. So on, on Voigtlander lenses, uh, I have actually have been looking at one for the last couple of weeks where I've never played with it before. Have any of you tried the uh, Voigtlander Septon 50mm F2? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I've, I've, been, I've been eyeing that because it looks really cool. I think it's DKL mount, and that's the main thing that's preventing me from getting it because that mount sucks. Uh, so is that a Voigtlander made by real Voigtlander or when they were bought out by Zeiss or what? Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's um, ooh, when they were bought out by Zeiss. That I'm not sure, but the lens design is very similar to the Hasselblad 80mm planar on the medium format cameras. Okay, that could be um, fairly old then, yeah. Yeah, I think that's old enough that that's legit Voigtlander. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it looks like a really good lens. It's a little on the pricey side for a 50, and I don't want that mount, but I was just wondering if any of you had used it. Yeah. Uh, so think, the f- yeah. yeah, I think that's an amazing batch of lenses. So right before Vo- Voigtlander flamed out, they were, they were doing yeah. amazing things. They were already kind of, the, pr- pr- I think, the primary or the primo lens... Mm-hmm. you know makers and and they were doing really really cool stuff right when they went down the tubes yeah 
I really love the fact that uh, Amadeo has made a uh, proper coupling adapter for the prominent lenses um, because there are so many like 50 millimeter F2 Ultrons and uh, Noctons floating out there that uh, the fact that you can use them on something other than a prominent is, is super cool because they are really nice as well. Yeah, I've got some interesting 35 millimeter cameras that are pretty well shot. They're beautiful machines, but the, for some reason, Voigtlander rangefinders seem to just fade into invisibility, you know, after a few decades. And I've been tempted to start pulling lenses off some of those to put on other other things that are easier to work with. Have you ever tried pulling the Ultron off? Um, which is the camera with the stick? I don't have that one. No, uh, that's a Vitessa, isn't it? That one. Right. Right. Yeah, there's uh, one of our listeners in New York has offered to mail me his dead one uh, once the pandemic ends, which I don't know when that's going to be for you guys. Um, oh, he doesn't want to go to the post office? Well, it's been closed for a long time. Uh, and oh, it's, 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 it's open now. My sister yeah. lives in New York. Okay, well, I, I, think he, I think he also doesn't particularly want to go, which is fine. I mean, you know, it's, it's super, <laughs> super gracious of him to offer anyway. Uh, this right. is Anu, Anu Jindal, by the way. Um, but so if he does manage to get that over here, I, I'm really keen to rip that off, uh, of that camera and put it on something or on something else. Yeah. So, so the, f- yeah, sorry, go on. So I mostly was, I was trying to get you guys to talk about what film and lens combinations made sense to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reasons were interesting to me because the reason I like these older lenses is because of what they do to color. Um, yeah. it, I feel yeah. like when you, you kind of let the middle tonalities come to life, that's where you get a lot of great color. And the, the contrasty lenses, can I think, can squelch color when, it, when you mm-hmm. get into subtle stuff. Yeah, yeah definitely. And I also think that uh, lenses that render color dif- in different ways can sort of offset some of the uh, color cast that some films have. You know, mm-hmm. when I shot my... Uh, 58 f2 17 blade biotar on fuji superior extra uh and that's a fairly muted lens all things considered it was the first time that that film looked genuinely good to me and the schneider xenon which i shot on the pen f uh last week is a very similar looking lens to that biotar um in a lot of ways and again it it was fuji superior extra and it came out really nice and i think the kind of weird color cast that that Fuji film has is sort of offset by the color rendering of those lenses. And I really, really like it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's almost an infinity of combinations. So it's going to take a while to make sense of it. But every now and again, it seems like I stumble on something that works. Yeah. I, I, I try to, um, I try to yellowed uh, 55, 55, 1.8 Takumar on, um, Oh, what film was it? I can't remember which film, but I, I tried that a couple of months ago, and it looked really, really nice uh, compared to the other lenses that I was using on this on this one particular film. I think it might have been a Kodak film, might have been Ektar or something. Um, but that you know that effect of a yellowed lens can also have a similar impact. But I think when it comes to black and white film, the uh, the impact is less dramatic, right? It's more of just a contrast thing. Yeah. Yeah. It starts to be more like just using filters, which you can do anyway. There, there's a, there. If you were asking what a favorite combination is, I would say 
for me, it's a mid-50s Voigtlander color Scopar with Ektar. Now that you mention it, Ektar is probably my favorite color film. Uh, it, it's taken a while to get there because it can be a little contrary and annoying, but with the right camera, it's just amazing. Yeah, I really like Ektar as well. If it were an ISO 100, I would shoot it a lot more because I very rarely am. You know, it's so nice and warm um that as long as you're shooting subject matter that works for it it it, it looks really nice and there are people here in hong kong i've talked to who think that ektar is a crap film but i don't i don't see it i like it a lot no i like it a lot too and a lot of the ancient cameras kind of need the slower film for that i'm using so yeah yeah johnny Simon, what about you guys do you guys have you delved into pairing films with lenses <laughs> well let's let, 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 let's get me out of the way first uh, no uh, um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, 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 I pretty much have a good idea what a certain lens is going to going to do on digital, but not on not particularly on film. Um, and and that's largely because I'm still working my way through uh, vast quantities of uh, expired film. So I'll I, I generally shoot whatever film is available to me, and I don't really think that much about which lens are going to work. Uh, best with 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 that that kind of film because it's usually a case of if i if i do put film in i think well what's going to suit the moment um that i think i'm going to i'm going to use it for um and then i'll then select the lens for for and the camera for for that moment um rather than specifics to to color rendition there but and, and to be fair up until very very recently i i didn't really um pay that much attention uh, to, to this subject at all and, and I know Perry's been talking about this kind of stuff for ages and uh, and it's it's never really connected with me until um, very very recently um, especially with um, Perry's uh, relatively recent uh, odyssey for uh, crap expensive lenses um, so and 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 through that journey um, I've, I've, I do understand now uh, where, where he's coming from and it, it is interesting um, but it's also a case of the, 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 the film that I have it's pretty much generally speaking pretty middle of the road stuff um, so it probably needs a bit of help in most most cases I'm not shooting at night um, and uh, and it's more just general general photography rather than anything special as such if i'm trying to do anything uh, deliberate then i may choose a very specific film and i'll come on to something that i did this week um but like if i'm shooting with large format it's usually a case of shoot the film i can afford to shoot um mm. which is almost always going to be black and white and uh, and again with me tending to shoot older film it sort of comes out relatively similar uh anyway and i tend to be shooting the similar kind of uh, speeds as well so um so yeah um no <laughs> Is the answer. <laughs> well, well, you know, on, on making that decision, um, one of the things that I've been doing, which I think helps a lot, is putting different lenses on a digital camera first and just keeping the white balance constant so the camera doesn't sort of override any color effects of the film. Um, and that's a really nice way of seeing different color rendering Yeah. if you're just sort of shooting the same scene with a bunch of films. And then when you see, like, oh, this lens is significantly, you know, greener or cooler than this one, then you can maybe make some decisions on, on what films you might pair it with uh, based on those results. 
Yeah, I think with with, with, with digital though, it's there's a couple of things. Uh, one, you've got a lot of flexibility to to ramp up contrast after after the effect in post processing. Far more ability to do something quickly and experimental in, in digital than you than you will have in film. So, mm. um, I might choose a, if I'm going out on a sunny day. I might decide not to choose a particular lens because I just know it's just going to struggle. Mm. Um, that kind of thing, but but interesting. Something I've I've started to, to do, um, and partially since I've been doing these, uh, uh, having the the um, my, using my camera as a webcam for our uh, for our chats, um, and I put myself in black and white, and I've started to actually uh, shoot a little bit with when it's black and white in the in the viewfinder of my Sony. Uh, mm -hmm. And this is something that I know a lot of people have done, and people have been on the show who have talked about doing doing this. And uh, um, and I know that back in the back in the day, I don't know if, it's, if they still do it now, but certainly in the seventies, when when color came out in television, that the the, uh, the 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 actual television cameras, the camera operator would still actually see in black and white. Mm -hmm. um, it was easier for them to to to, to focus on, uh, on on the subject, and I've I've noticed when I have done that in black and white with my EVF, um, it does seem to be easier to focus, and it does seem to uh, you 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 lose those distractions of of, of colour. Um, I mean, the, the the I took a shot for the cover for the artwork last week of my Contacts S uh, with my Biotar on it. And I shot that in black and white, and I looked at it and thought, "This is lovely. This is," and I really, really liked what I saw in black and white as well. And then I was knocked out when I saw it in colour. It was a completely different photograph. Mm. Uh, but interestingly enough, I liked it in. I, I, I took it as a black and white photograph, but ultimately it was published as a as a colour photograph. Um, but it, that was a just a slightly odd experience for me there, and I actually still I preferred it in color than I did in black and white. But I, like I say, I composed it and viewed it as black and white first, which is interesting to me. I do that quite often, and it's a little bit like the tiny viewfinder effect. It it it's like or the or the using a t, you know a TLR so everything's backwards. It it distracts you, and and it can be helpful. And every now and again, it's a booby trap. But you know, yeah. Mm. I think it's easier to see to focus on where the light's coming from if you've got a black and white viewfinder. It's uh, uh -huh. it's that that seems it first for me anyway. I can I can see sense the tonality better with black and white. Yeah, I mean that that makes total sense because some colors uh, will jump out at you more. You know, certain tones of reds, yellows, greens, even mm -hmm. uh, because when you have a black and white photo or a black and white image, you know, the brightest parts of the scene are what your eye is drawn towards. So it makes total sense to me that if you have a distracting, you know, busy color scene, that the the light might be sort of, you know, creating brightness in one part of the image, but then a particular color might be creating perceptual brightness in another part of the image. So your eyes kind of not really sure where to look first, right? Yeah, and I was shooting the other day with a Rolleiflex, and that has kind of a dim viewfinder, and I was just looking directly at it with glasses, and you know, instead of using a loop, and that had a very similar effect. It, I could, I couldn't really get that interested in the colors, but you could definitely see where the bright lights were very, very obviously. I thought it was, for some kinds of photography, I think it's helpful, not always. And that kind of brings me around to where I've been going lately, which is I've been focused on what lenses I like. And then instead of 
being instead of feeling constrained to use the camera they were designed for, trying to create a camera that will I can mount that lens on that is easier for me to work with. And uh-huh. that's it's like it's not that different, but it's more like instead of adapting lenses to cameras, I'm adapting cameras to lenses now. And that's really kind of got me going in a new direction and, and uh it's it's got me up it's got me a bit out of my covid funk and back into the out in the woods taking pictures again so it's a good thing awesome so let, let's let's talk about one of those uh specifically this one yeah, um, yeah. so this is i'm holding a uh nikkor 75 millimeter f 2.8 uh in bronica s mount up to the webcam and i know this is something that you've been playing with and you have totally open my eyes here with this camera and this mount because you know during our sort of covid lockdown in hong kong i spent most of the time adapting random stuff to my pentax 67 um and it was kind of fun but almost nothing gave me infinity or very little did uh and then you started posting all of this stuff in our facebook group about taking a bronica s lens and helicoid uh and putting it on are you putting on a speed graphic yeah because it doesn't have a shutter so i it's got me creating cameras out of uh, I had several old broken speed graphics with a lot of parts missing but the shutters worked so I'm using those as a basis for cameras that can take system lenses okay so this this system is pretty magical and and you know there's a couple hours before this podcast goes out for people to you know anyone here to go on eBay and grab any remaining ones before the price goes up or you, but, you, uh, could, you could have looted <laughs> central camera and got that one too because somebody somebody looted the one that we had in the front window <laughs> yeah oh man well um, I, walked, I walked into the shot on film store which is this new and amazing store in seattle that is now mostly processing film for people but they have this giant collection of yeah. old cameras and lenses and they're they're not really a, an online presence well they're online but you can't see what's in there unless you go in the store and it's the yeah. the first place i went when i just sort of dared go into seattle and go into a store again as things quieted down around here and uh I just had to, I had to question them for quite a while before they like brought out an interesting lens for me to look at because they're not letting people in the back where all the stuff is. So you have to stand there saying, show me this, show me that and in the front. And uh, out came this lens and I knew nothing about Bronica. So it worked backwards. I started with just the lens and tried to figure out what the heck it was because it's a peculiar beast. I think maybe you should describe it, Perry. Yeah. So uh, am I right to say then when you bought it, you basically bought it like this? with a lens and a helical. Yes. Okay, because you posted a question on our group about this, and I was so confused because, to me, it sounded like you were just asking how do you dismount the lens. Um, but I'm like, surely that's not just <laughs> that's not what he's asking. So the unusual thing about this mount is uh, the camera looks very much like a Hasselblad, except that it has the focal plane shutter uh, and a mirror. The, the shutter is not a leaf shutter in the lens. The lens... Uh, is a two-part, so there's a helical that the lens attaches to. But what's unique about this lens system is if you focus the lens to minimum focus, a little button pops out here, and you can dismount the lens. So basically, yeah. from the helical. So basically, the idea behind this camera is you have one helical uh, that is sort of fixed that that you keep attached to the camera. And then all you do is you attach different optical blocks to the same helical. And there's a distance scale on here for 50, 75, 135, and 200. 
which are going to be the most common lenses you find anyway. So in essence, it's, I guess it's a similar concept to like a contacts RF rangefinder where the focusing mechanism is in the camera, except here you can remove the helical part as well. So does that make sense? Yeah. And it's historical. So the first Veronica S cameras didn't have that. They had the a helical built permanently into the yes, body. That's so right. they d had already designed the optical block bayonet system. And then <clears throat> they found out that was limited. And so they came out with an S2, which had a, they, they created a bigger opening and made the helical removable mm -hmm. so it would be more flexible. But it, it created a, a reason for a whole bunch of additional ways to attach things that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Yeah, and, and it's an interesting system. You know, for people who don't know the system, there are uh, lenses made by Komura. There are lenses made by Bronica, uh, including a very fast 80mm f2.4. Um, and then these Nikon, these Nikkor lenses, I think, are some of the finest uh, medium format lenses that I've used. But the, the other thing that makes this le this camera kind of distinctive is the shutter is very, very deep inside the camera body. Like I could pretty much st stick my entire finger into the camera and not touch the mirror, um, which means that the lens, the rear of the lens protrudes really far back. So when you mount it into the camera, uh, it, it at least with the 75, it becomes quite compact. So unlike the Hasselblad, where the 80 millimeter is going to stick out a reasonable amount, this this has a filter on it, but literally it sticks out maybe three centimeters from the camera body. Right. Most of the lens is inside the camera, which means the flange back distance is tremendous. It's over 100 millimeters uh, on that on the Bronica. Yeah. Uh, but it's shorter than a Pentax 6.7. Um, if you, well, not the flange. The flange is very long. But the, the working distance that you have to play with is significantly longer than a Pentax 6.7. Exactly. And so this brings us to the, uh, the fun part. Um, because while, while you've been putting on a speed graphic, uh, I have figured out that you can do stuff like this. Where what, what I learned from you, which I did not know, is that there's a 57 millimeter thread inside the helical uh, after you, you unmount the lens. How did you find that out? Uh, I just was reading and reading and reading, trying to understand this thing. And uh, mm -hmm. so I actually read about it before I saw it. And then I took my lens apart and, and found it there. But the reading claimed that that was somehow to, so that other lens makers could easily adapt lenses to their helical. But what I also found is that that thread is how they attach uh, extension rings. On. Yes. And so there is a whole bunch of extension ring parts that give you the option of using a bayonet mount or 57 millimeter helical. And then I found that that Russian RAF camera outfit makes uh, adapters that screw right into 57 millimeter threads. So. Yeah, I don't think any third party lens manufacturer actually made lenses for this system. Um, so the, the bellows and the extension tubes, uh, I think Johnny in the last episode got really excited about a bellows system for the Bronica S2 for some reason. But I, I think those were the kind of native things made. But yeah, so so after, on your recommendation, I ordered one of these uh, M57 to M42 uh, adapter rings. And you know, I think you told me that 135 millimeter lenses or whatnot would be kind of ideal to put on. And you were right. I put a 135 millimeter woolen sack and larger lens on, and it, it worked perfectly. You know, infinity's fine. But what I really wanted to see was, you know, because there's so much space in the camera, I was thinking... I should be able to get at least a 75 millimeter lens working uh, and my nine centimeter F4 lights Elmar optical block working with infinity. 
which I can't get on the Pentax 6.7. So what I ended up doing was uh, using this adapter that, that you sent me the link for, and I found a way to mount the lens inside of M42 extension tube. So that way, the, way down in there, he's showing us a picture of it. It's, it's like looking at a macro lens. The, the optics are way down inside this adapter. Yeah, exactly. So, so the front of this adapter will mount onto the lens helical, but then the optical block is like five or six centimeters behind um, and way deep, and it works. It works perfectly. This is, a, this is a viewing lens off a broken TLR. So it only work with lenses that are thin enough to fit inside an extension tube. Um, but this one works. The lights LMR works. And I, I'm, I need to get out and shoot this soon because this is super, super cool, man. I think there's going to be a whole bunch of old, like, uh, you know, those like six by nine folder cameras. Those old lenses are tiny and you can mm -hmm. bury them down in there, too. Yeah, you would just have to take the optics out because I tried to, I actually tried to put one in um, and it didn't fit because of the all the kind of shutter, the, the apparatus around the shutter. Right. right. So what you need is basically just a threaded tube that replaces the shutter. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You exactly. can probably take apart an old broken shutter and, and find that part in there. It's possible. Yeah, probably. Or basically just grind off the shutter <laughs> until it's out of your way. <laughs> <laughs> so have you managed to get this lens onto your speed graphic? Yeah, I have it on. I found I had a 4x5 speed graphic, the really ancient kind, um, mm -hmm. you know, pre-paced pre-anniversary, the oldest ones. It was in a camera store, and it, someone had already stripped it for parts, but it had just the bellows, the shutter, the box, and the graph lock back, which is all I wanted. And uh, that lens is... I was able to take the the front standard from an old Bronica, uh, you know, bellows, uh, macro bellows. I took that off, and it just dropped right into the front of this... Uh, contraption that I've made for another 4x5 uh, camera that I'd converted. Uh, basically, it's it's a front standard, adjustable front standard contraption so that I can get a lens deep inside an old Graflex body for, for the shorter focal lengths. And uh, anyway, it's this Rube Goldberg contraption, but it lets me focus the lens to infinity and use the shutter. And I just was using it the other day. It works great. Um, the only problem is that this speed graphics, it needs some work that the spring's sort of tired. So I basically only have four shutter speeds, but they go from a 30th, 100th, one, two, one, 320th and one 700th of a second. So it's a good range, but you got to use a lot of uh, aperture adjustments in between. But the thing about the other thing I'm really excited about with this, and I'm also shooting Mamiya 645 lenses on a baby speed graphic that I converted by putting a bayonet mount at the right distance. Um, and that thing, that thing is super fun. But the, the thing that I like about it is that these are really fast lenses. Mm -hmm. I don't know, now you've probably seen pictures of this thing, but it gives me a ground glass or viewfinder scale focus camera that'll work with, by changing the uh, flange back distance, any system lens for medium format. So there's this whole world of bright, fast lenses that weren't really available at least that I couldn't afford to, to use on that type of camera. And those are my favorite kinds of cameras to use. I like to either preset and shoot where I'm just thinking about framing, or if I'm going to screw around, then might as well have ground glass and you know really take your time. That's kind of the way I roll, either extreme. Um, I'm not that interested in SLRs except for 35 millimeter because that, 
it just it feels like you're sort of defeating the purpose to use a big, heavy, awkward camera that you're supposed to shoot fast with. You know, it just doesn't really click for me, uh, unless it's just kind of old press camera style point and shoot with a viewfinder, where you really preset everything, you're comfortable with it, and all you're doing is framing. So I like cameras like that, and now finally I can use these really cool 60s and 70s lenses uh, that are fast and interesting uh, on that type of camera. So that lens you just mount had mounted onto the board, was that a Mamiya 645 80 1.9? Uh, no, it's it's much smaller. The camera is not as big as you think. That's the, this one, I, let's see what it is. I think it's the 80 2.8. Uh, okay. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I don't have the 1.9. That's kind of pricey, and, and it's huge. Um, but yeah, this would be a great camera to use it on. I could just click it right on the bayonet. I what just kind of took coverage a, do you get? Oh, so that's something I'm working on figuring out. So this camera goes up to a six by nine uh, format, and I've been I have shot it now, and I need to get the film back. It looks good on the ground glass, but that can be very deceiving. Um, so I'm confident that the six four five will cover six by six. I think it'll cover six by seven. Uh, I know I know that the uh, the Bronica is supposed to be a six by six lens, but it easily covers six by seven, which is nice. You you, you know you you've got more format options. Um, the six four five lenses look really good, and of course, if you're shooting a close up, then they will easily cover six by nine. It just it's just finding out whether they do it at infinity. Um, that's that's and it look like I said, it looks good through the ground glass, but until I get the film back and look at the results, I won't know for sure. But it definitely gives you more format options. Just it's just a question of how big it'll go. It's I'm, I'm just just thinking that this will be, um, just, and, and you're probably best qualified to explain this to any of us. Um, you say there about um, how a lens uh, will cover uh, a relatively large um, film um, film or sensor uh, when it's um, when you're taking when you're doing a close up shot. But not necessarily out, out at infinity. Um, I'm just wondering if you want to ex ex explain to our listeners why why that might be the case. Yeah, sure. So <clears throat> it's because when you focus a lens, the the closer the object is, the farther the lens it becomes from the film. So if you look at you look down at your helical and you turn it to focus on a close object, you'll see the lens literally extending out from the camera. And as it gets farther from the film, it's projecting a bigger circle on the film. It's just like if you grab a slide projector and walk away from the screen, the, the image gets bigger and bigger as you get farther. If you think of a lens is basically a lens is basically a projector projecting on the film inside the camera. And uh, so, for instance, I can put a M42 adapter on. And that's another reason I really like these cameras, because now that I'm using a bayonet on an old fashioned camera, all the adapters I own can work. So I can just grab all my digital adapters and, and start sticking them on there. And uh, so with an M42 lens, you, you can cover four by five if you get close enough to the subject and have a long enough helical or bellows to get it far enough from the film. And that's another whole fun area is that I'm starting to use M42 lenses on this M645 setup and, and uh, you know, get close enough and you can easily cover six by nine or even four by five. I, I must admit, I really, I really like the sound of that. Um, yeah, you end up with a lens that's that's, that's known for for certain properties uh, when you you know adapt it to to full frame or whatever. Um, but you can you you have the potential of uh, 
magnifying um, all, all the properties of that lens and, and put it onto uh, a much larger format. Uh, yeah, that's, it's, that's incredible. It works especially well with longer lenses because mm -hmm. of because of working distance. So you can put a wide angle lens on there, but you end up a half a you know a centimeter away from your subject. Yeah, I find the sweet spot is like in the hundred and five to one hundred thirty five millimeter lenses, and that's kind of nice too because like one thirty fives are cheap and they're sort of boring to use on a thirty five millimeter camera. But if you stick it on a medium format camera and project it on a six by six or six by seven film. It's a whole other, it's a whole other animal. It's completely different. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've got um, a tear or tire uh, thirty three, which is a three hundred millimeter um, f four point five for six by six. Wow, um, and uh, <laughs> and it it's easily uh, covers four by five at infinity not mm -hmm. a problem you know and i've uh, put it up against my um, half plate camera which is just just shy of seven by five no problem at all and um, i've got um, temporarily i've got a 10 by 8 camera and i've uh, free lensed it against that and again it, it seems that you might actually even cover 10 by 8 or it, <laughs> but it may well be more of a case that it, it covers it more at the uh, the, the closer focusing those so i don't yeah. know if it'll give me the full um the full at infinity um but it might actually work i mean it makes me want to get get some paper and do a paper negative of this and uh, put it on the 10 by 8 and put somebody at a portrait yeah. distance mm -hmm. and it, yeah. it, it may well work yeah, so that, that, that's got to be done, hasn't it? So the, yeah, the it's, most, it's fun. The most extreme version of that that I'm building towards is I found a Nikkor process lens for a ridiculously low price due to a fluke. And it's a 610 millimeter lens, which at portrait distance is going to give me a one-to-one -one macro image of a person from the waist up. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to need a piece of paper that's the size of you know, a poster to use this thing. And I'm going to have to build a giant box camera to attach it to because it weighs a couple of kilos. You know, it's huge, but it's, uh, it's a whole, it, it would be a really insane thing to shoot on paper that size. So I think, yeah. I think it's going to be really something else, but I'm going to have to also build a wheelbarrow to lug it around. It's, it's going to be big, but <laughs> it, it's again, a finding a lens and then having to build a camera to, to use it properly. You should do it though, Simon. It, it's good fun. Um, during my six seven phase, I definitely put a bunch of M forty two and even LTM lenses uh, on my Pentax six seven, and they only focused in macro distance. But you got some crazy effects uh, with full coverage. But uh, on on this Bronica, the thing that I'm most excited about is the fact that that Lights Elmar nine centimeter f four totally covers uh, at infinity. And so I think, you know, this lens, which is, you know, a Tessar rangefinder lens, um, but designed for 35 millimeter film, when I shot it on my 6.7 at sort of close range, it rendered in a way that was unlike any other media, any other, well, any medium format lens I'd tried because mm -hmm. the details were just a lot finer. The tones, um, I mean, you can almost tell that it was designed to resolve on a smaller sensor uh, right. be because there was just like a, a different texture to the to the details yeah it, it's it's certainly opened up a bazillion new things to try which is what i guess partly drives drives us but 
for me, there's also this this idea that I'm, I'm always trying to get an amazing result cheaply, and I've probably bought a hundred <laughs> lenses to get there. <laughs> so it's <laughs> it is sort of ridiculous in a way, but. So I kind of come to color photography from the background of being a painter originally and finding new and interesting color and rendering to me is really, really exciting and, and, and satisfying. And I'd rather have it come out of a combination of lenses and, and equipment and films than struggle for hours in Photoshop trying to do something which never works as well. It, it just, I, I like discovered color and discovered rendering rather than, uh, engineered you know it just appeals to me more yeah i'm i'm just thinking let's um this this this, this whole tangent that we've went off um it uh, was to do with uh um choosing film and lenses that go go together and uh and i gave a very long answer about with the answer was no i didn't do that <laughs> um and uh, we we didn't actually get the chance to head over to chicago um, to see if uh, if if that also applied to Johnny. Oh yeah. Um, yes. But hello, I'm off mute. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. So this right here is my favorite. I see something that looks rangefindery in the dim yeah. gloom. Yeah. Yeah, that's my favorite right there. And and, and, and on the sticker on the bottom, you can read which film I've got in there. So. I won't even need to explain this to anyone. They can just look at the video. Like John, Johnny, your red filter makes it impossible to see anything. <laughs> oh, he's got a celebrity filter on his camera, right? Yeah. Everything's deep red. I have a series. <laughs> a series like filter. A, yeah. a series, uh, I think that's a series five drop-in red filter. So that turns this into a dark room. Nice. No, Except we can't see what you're holding up in front of your camera. Oh, all right, here. I'll, I'll hold it up without that. So, so this camera. Oh, of course. So, and you can see right there, it, the camera says it's made for color. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, I put that film Optima. in that camera. Optima but 200? Yeah, but I don't usually have th this film. This is like a 12 exposure roll of Optima 200 that's been in here for a year. Um, so, but the the film I really like in this camera actually is the um, I don't know the much hated, much reviled uh, Fuji Superior because with this lens, because you know it's made for color. See that? Uh -huh. um, it it like knocks down all that crazy purpley stuff that superior does with blues and it renders them more like these nice periwinkle uh kind of pastelly blue color to them so i do that and then here's the secret though oh shit the whole front of the lens just screwed off <laughs> <laughs> oh man hold on let's did, did do you, that let's, did you let's, not know it was uh, it was l39 yeah let's do that again oh jesus it's coming right off again Oh yeah, you got one of those where, where the mount is stiffer than the the lens. Yeah, yeah. So the whole the whole front, which isn't a big deal. I mean, I could get to the, uh, I could get to the um, the lens really easy. The shutter inside, if I just screw this motherfucker off. So, uh, so what I do? Here's the secret. Right. Look at this. Read this. 
Vivitar. Vivitar color. Color corrected. Uh-huh. 81B. So I take a c- special filter that's color corrected and put it on a special lens that's color corrected. Oh, okay. Johnny, you just put yourself on mute in your excitement. I'm back. Yeah. I'm back. So, so double so, color correction right here. Does, does um, that make it mono? No, it ma- it makes it it makes it doubly color corrected. So it it just makes all the colors which are already specially color corrected <laughs> more specially color corrected. So they're they're more they're like extra sixties looking. They look it looks like. Um, so I recently saw there's a uh, what was it on I don't know what what service it's on, but um, it's uh, the Sasha Baron Cohen. Uh, series where he's he's an Israeli spy in mm-hmm. Syria. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just called Spies or something like that. Um, but so they do this really cool thing where the scenes that are um, like in Israel, essentially, uh, they film them in this more muted color palette that just like it just you know, it looks like the 1960s, right? I, yeah, I remember. And, and the col- colors were more muted back then. Y- yeah, yeah. So they, so they really they play up this thing where they, um, they, they specifically for certain parts of the of the story they mute the colors, right? So it's like you know you're in this different environment, sort of. Right. Um, and it looks. I swear, the <laughs> that's what it, this looks like. This combo. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's. It has that look to it that is like to me really particular of like the early 1960s of that kind of faded color film look, um, and this is the closest combo I get to that look. Um, so yeah, that I mean, the, the, there's other you know film film lens camera combos I really like, but this is this for color is definitely my favorite. Um, and uh yeah and the color and the camera is just you know i've gone off about this camera before it's i like this camera more than my leica m3 i'm not exaggerating it it feels better um when the shutter fires you've been saying this camera a lot but no one listening knows yeah well that's their problem isn't it (laughs) (laughs) so they can just go watch the video and then they'll see which one it is Especially when it's in red. Okay, so it's the Petri uh, 1.9 color corrected super, uh, which I, I I wrote up a big expose of this camera on uh, 35 MMC a couple years ago. Um, but this is this is my favorite camera for shooting anything in color, um, and it's it's my it, it's it's a you know it's a fixed lens rangefinder, but I like it more than most of my other cameras. So that, that's, that's my, that's my big favorite it, because it's great because I can just use, you know, standard shitty film in it and it makes it look special. And it has a special feature with a detachable front element, apparently. Yeah. Apparently I just learned this, the whole front element screws it up, which I think I knew because Mike Ekman, uh, services these things. And if you, I can probably do it again. If you unscrew this front element, you basically get right to the, um, the shutter, which is kind oh, of that handy. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of handy. So, um, yeah, apparently I just 
just screws right off, which is cool. Uh, but I don't want to screw it up, so I screwed it back on. So the, the um, rear element is behind the shutter, right? Uh, yes, the rear element is behind the shutter. So it's, it's, it's just like a, you know, a normal lens. It's just has a leaf shutter built, built yeah. into it. Um, and you can see the, you know, it's all on the front, right? You've got the aperture and the, and the shutter right, right. there in the front and the helical behind. Um, so, I mean, it, it's a, it's a typical so that, thick, fixed lens rangefinder arrangement. You could probably stick a lot of things on that camera if you find the right threaded connector. Yeah, you pro- yeah, probably good. Um, but I mean, it's you know, it's obviously the optics are you know built as a as a group. So you got the the front and the rear. So it would be a mismatched front block so, on the so, front. So I have a strong favorite when it comes to color, and I mentioned Ektar and before Ektar 100, but the camera is a Voigtlander Perkio from the mid-1950s, oh, yeah. and it's got the 80-millimeter color Scopar lens, and there's something about the way that works with with well, any of the new films, but especially Ektar, that I just... Nothing else can do it. It's, it's yeah. unique. Uh, that's my favorite. What about... Uh, I know Simon doesn't seem to have thought about this, but you might have a favorite if you think about it. Uh, are you mostly shooting black and white? Or you, or do you, do you have a favorite color? Um, no, I, I, I literally, I just shoot what's available. Uh, yeah. And, so if you're using, if you're using expired yeah. film, then it's a crapshoot. Yeah. So you, you can't. It's not consistent enough. Um, yeah. yeah, but I, I, I t- I'm taking the view that I'm, uh, although I started with film, I feel I'm more experienced on digital than I am with film, and I feel that I'm like you know, on that journey kind of thing, uh, if you like, uh, with, mm-hmm. with film and finding things that work. And if I find something that works and I particularly like it, then I'll probably stick with it. But to, to be honest, it's, it's, it's not actually that often. I actually find something that uh, works as well as I expect it to, or if it, or I would like it to, or if it does, right. it just happens to be something that I'll never be able to get again. And, uh, you know, so I, I've got some, really good um pictures out of uh some uh what's it called uh one of the the russian in fact i've got i've got the empty case of it here um looks Spamer. like o, 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 oto uh 100 and i mm. think i think this is one of the weird ones that came from uh eric Kasslus, uh to me uh that's just uh, astrum that's a astrum film that's and, just heartbreaking though i mean if if you you, that's the problem with expired film. I got some expired Portra that some photographer had kept in a fridge, and it was the best film I've ever used. And there was about five rolls, and then it was over. You know. Yeah. Well, th- well, this this stuff, I I I developed it in. Um, it's not Perceptol. Um, another one of the fine fine grain developers, and uh, just, I'm not a fan of grain. Uh, in my in my recent years, I'm not a fan of grain. And um, I forget what it was. It's, a, it's an Ilford film uh, developer, um, but anyway, it, it, it worked out far better. And it was, and it was. I used it with my Horizon camera, and but only about half the the shots actually were usable because the the, the emulsion um, had uh, liquefied on on it, and it wasn't even that old. Um, it was only it was only recently expired as well. Um, but, but yeah, it's, as you say though, I was, I was very happy with that, but would I buy another role? Would I risk 
another roll of, of, of this stuff um <laughs> uh, it was it was a nightmare as well to to load into a into a into a tank as well because it's it's probably like aerial reconnaissance film or something like that and it's like waffer thin you know so you know you, you, had, you had no idea you even had it in your camera probably because the the, the canister weighs more than the than the roll of film that was in it um so uh so yeah i'm i'm, I'm trying out different things and I, i'm i'm getting closer to using stuff that's almost in date um now um i did actually shoot a roll of uh portrait that uh, perry sent me as well um but uh and yeah that that produced some really really nice um shots with my um my medley so though interestingly enough um i think there was some contamination on that one as well with the with the backing paper um i've heard of contaminated backing paper before i'm not sure if it was with portrait or not but uh but i've definitely had a bit of an issue with that uh, it wasn't too yeah. bad hmm. but uh, um, but it, 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 it sort of made me a little bit wary if you like well you know it, it's funny because the guy that works at one of the local film stores here um, and there are many he w- he went on this epic rant to me about exactly that topic the other day uh, and specifically I, th- I think I mentioned RPX 400 and 120 which I like but it's it's had a few batches that have had this issue um, but specifically, the, the issue seems to be when the film is transported, uh, when it goes from cold storage to warm to cold and then warm, and you don't really know, um, and you don't really know where it is. So he went on this rant because a lot of his customers at the camera store have ordered like bricks of 120 film and had you know one or two rolls in there that have had backing paper stick to it. So even with fresh new film, you can still have this issue. And my suspicion in in the case of your your portrait may well be because Hong Kong is freaking hot. Uh, I had that stuff in my freezer. And so when I mailed it to you, I took it out of my freezer, put it in a box. It went to the post office, probably went into a cold room at some point, you know, on transport or on the plane, came out into a hot place again. And basically the guy at the shop was saying there's not a lot you can do about that if the film is just going from hot to cold all the time. It's not going to happen on 35 millimeter, but on 120, it's a... I mean, it's just an issue that happens, and, and not like I've never seen it. it. But I live in a very temperate spot. Oh, really? But but you know, they were saying at the shop that um, sometimes even if it's fresh, because it's moving around. I think he was saying that Fuji films don't have that issue, and Kodak films don't have that issue. It's oh, some of the films God. that are made in Europe. Um, e- even a few batches of Ilford have had that problem, where I think you know when they go on route somewhere, they travel, for example, from the UK, from the Ilford factory to like Spain or Germany, then goes through Spain before it gets rerouted. And so by going from a cold place to a really hot place um, and back and forth, and then things get screwed up. Whereas, you know, Kodak and Fuji, their factories are in more temperate places, you know, so I, so they, those issues, or, or, or they did something with their backing paper to prevent that. Right. Wait, but Portra is, Co- uh, Portra is Kodak, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So uh, do you have a favorite, Perry? Do you have a favorite? Like, so what I'm thinking when I say favorite, I don't, I don't really have favorites. But what I mean yeah. is, is there a lens and film combination which never fails? That's kind of what I'm after. Yeah, a couple. Um, one, one I think is kind of contrary to something you posted in our group because you were talking about how you like Portra with old lenses. Mm-hmm. Um, to take sort of some of that edge off of the modern Portra. Um, but I really like Portra 400 with uh, the Zeiss ZM Sonar. Um, That's not a, that modern. 
Well, the ZM, the ZM is. Um, oh, yeah, but it's still Sonar. I mean, yeah, yeah, but modern, it, it, modern coatings, right? Okay, yeah, right. But it's the least. It's the least kind of, uh, I guess, modern lens design of all the ZM line. Right. Uh, so I just find that for skin tones in particular, that combination just blows my mind time and time again. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that combo, uh, I really like my Chioko. Um, five centimeter f2 LTM with Cinestill uh, 800T or, or Kodak Vision 3 500T. Mm-hmm. I think that's my favorite one because there's two versions of that lens. There's a version with a red C, which is the coded version, uh, multi coded version. And then the version I have is the non C version, which I think is single coded, not uncoded. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has a really nice, you know, it's got muted colors, but without the massive reduction in. Um, in contrast that some you know some old uncoated lenses everything just kind of looks a little bit washed out right uh whereas the chioko kind of maintains that kind of um local contrast and detail while washing out the colors a little bit and i think it looks fantastic so going around to johnny again is there like a never fails combination that you can think of oh hold on am i muted no No, you're you're there i'm not muted okay uh, sorry, what was the question? So it's a combination of film and lens that just never fails, that like never disappoints. Oh, um, uh, I mean, I I don't know, because I, I pretty much only shoot really like two films, you know? So I, so I guess my never fail combinations are just by trial and error. I, I've, I've just, um, you know, narrowed it down to two, two films that, just always work. Where are they? <laughs> you know, so it basically, well, I shouldn't say that. It's more like, it's more like three films. Um, so the, the first one, the, all, my, my all around go to 35 millimeter film is Tri-X. Mm-hmm. Um, my other all around go to 35 millimeter film for other, other cameras, uh, especially fixed lens cameras and some wide angles is um, XP2, Ilford mm-hmm. XP2. Um, and the other one that I shoot a lot, especially with, uh, very vintage lenses and lenses that I want to have a kind of a, a, you know, a less, a less modern look to is, uh, uh, I'm, I was just literally, or I've, I literally have the window open here to order some from B and H right now, which is Foma <laughs> pan 100. Um, oh, yeah. so I, I like Foma pan 100 for lenses that tend to like older lenses, uncoated lenses, lenses that are going to flare more. So like um, pretty much the only camera I've been shooting here the past month and a half. Ooh, wait, I can, I can do this again. Let me hold it up. Um, so is this combo right here, uh, which I haven't talked about, but I, I'm glad to talk about it now. <laughs> yeah, so oh, I've, nice. I've basically only been shooting this for about a month and a half. And my preferred film for this is the Fomapan 100 because with this lens, it's, you know, it's uncoated. And I, I want the highlights to bloom a little bit. Like I want the, the haloing in the, in the specular highlights. And Fomapan 100 does that beautifully in like, mm-hmm. the, in like the best possible way. So with older lenses, I feel like it's, it's a more like authentic to the lens look. 
if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so the other the other camera that I shoot when I want to carry it because it's heavy and it's been a chore these days is the uh, the Tokarev the FT2. So the FT2 is the other camera that I shoot Fomapan in a lot because I want the you know I want it to have that look that older sort of vintage look that just to me it, it it's it's more authentic to the lens. Mm-hmm. Um, like it almost to me, Fomapan being a Czech film, right? It almost has that more like Eastern European look to it. Um, and I'm not going to screw around buying Soviet film, expired Soviet film. So to me, it's the best kind of option and it's, it's cheap. I, I was just, I was just putting, yeah, I mean, I was just putting FOMA 100 in my shopping cart. I'll let me zip back over to Safari here. Um, it's, it's four ninety nine a roll for 36s. I mean, what? Mm. That's nuts, you know? Um, so, so yeah, I mean, you can get 10 rolls of film for 50 bucks. That's, I'm down with that. Mm. <laughs> and so anyway, but I, I really like the look of that film in particular. So really, those are my three, in 35 millimeter, those are really my three go-tos is Tri-X, X-P2, and FOMA 100. So um, Johnny, you, you, haven't, uh, you haven't actually said what that thing you just held up was. Oh, that's okay. They'll see it on the video. It's a, <laughs> it's the barnacky looking thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 um, this is my, uh, Canon, uh, 4SB2, um, which I had, I got this, I got this a few years ago and I got it, um, I got it serviced by, uh, Yoshin Yi just to get it like kind of tip top. Cause it's in really, I mean, it's in beautiful condition. Um, so he serviced it for me. I can't, I, I can't remember what was going on with it. I think the low speeds felt a little sluggish. So he, he overhauled it and, um, uh, and I hadn't really been using it much cause I just, I wanted the right lens to put on it. And so I got, um, I, you know, I haven't really been buying anything <laughs> seeing as I'm unemployed and such, uh, and unemployed and ill. So, I kind of decided, well, I'm never going to work again and I'm probably going to die. So I'm just going to buy this lens and enjoy it. (laughs) So, so I got, um, I, I found an amazingly stupidly cheap deal on, uh, the lights, uh, Elmar, uh, 35 millimeter, 3.5 uncoated 1937. I think it's 37 or 39, um, in really great condition. And I think it was so cheap because dumbasses, prefer it marked in feet rather than meters uh-huh. and this is marked in meters which i definitely prefer um and they seem to go for less money for whatever silly reason so i i, I got it um at a shockingly low price considering how much these are going for um and this is really all i've been carrying around and shooting uh just get you know it's just it's like pure simplicity and you know obviously the voigtlander 35 finder Mm -hmm. on top um and it to me is is just like pure photo simplicity like zone focus simple simple sunny 16 you know what i mean it's just it's it, it so it's been like i don't have to give any thought at all to to shooting i just been carrying this around so that's that's been my that's been my go-to, um, but I've had I haven't I I I was kind of uh, I've shot a bunch of different film in it because I ran out of FOMA 100. So I I I had some FOMA 200, 
which is the T-Grain film, which I put in there. And then I've right now I've Tri-X in here, but I'm just shooting Tri-X at, you know, 100 instead of 400. Um, so, yeah, that's my that's my other go-to for, I guess, certain camera lens combos. You finally got that lens. I did, yeah. I just yeah. I just kind of said screw it and I bought it. So, because um, I, I mean, I haven't bought any lenses in forever. Mm. Um, and uh, it's like, it's, you know what? There's just not a lot that I even really want anymore lens-wise. But this lens, there's there's three, to me, there's three Leica LTM lenses that, if I had unlimited funds, I would want to own. Um, uh, this one, um, the 1.5 Sumerit, you know, again, the older, the older one and, uh, the 28, what is it? 28, 5.6. 5.6. Yeah. The, the, um, Sumeron. Sumeron. Right. So those are the, those are really the only three Leica lenses that I'm have ever been, had a great deal of interest in and I'm not going to get the other two cause they're just, they're, they're in craziness land price wise, but I don't really need them anyway. I mean, I've got plenty of other choices, but th- to me, this lens, the 35 Elmar, um, there's something really, really special about the rendering of that lens. I mean, it's, yeah. it's basically like his first wide angle lens. I mean, it's, you know, people don't really consider 35 a wide angle anymore, but it was, it was definitely considered wide angle back in the day. Oh, yeah. um, so it was, it was sort of their first, you know, wide angle lens. And it was really kind of a big deal when it came out. So, and, and they made it for a long time. They made it for, for many, many years. Um, but I specifically wanted the uncoded version to shoot, you know, to get that kind of particular look with. The um, Johnny, the other combo that we have discussed uh, before is, XP2 uh, mm. with the Voilander 21 millimeter uh, color yeah. scope, because right. I think I think that lens, you know, is a pretty sweet lens as far as ultra wide goes and bang for your buck goes. But yeah. you know, c- compared to especially the the Biogons, I find that the way I would describe it is it it has a l- significantly lower micro contrast, definitely, um, and significantly higher what I would call macro contrast. In right. that the tones are not very subtle in the gradation from black to white. Exactly. The kind of overall contrast of the image is quite strong. That, um, that is the best description of this lens you could possibly get. So here's another visual aid. Um, this is yeah. the Bessa Alpan with the 21 millimeter Voigtlander on it. Um, yeah, yeah and, I, I shoot yeah. that on a Bessa T. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And so, and if you can see in the little window, there's my XP2 Super. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I th- that I, I found the XP2 super um, with crop pano thirty five is like the perfect combo, and especially with this lens, mm-hmm. um, because like the crop pano thirty five stuff, I you know I like grain. I I mean I, I'm a grain lover for sure, but I I don't want the grain to be obtrusive in and of itself if that makes sense like i like how it looks in a full 35 millimeter frame but on the crop 35 i i feel like it becomes too much about the grain versus the lens and the xp2 super like solves that perfectly so 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 that's a c41 film and it interests me that that's the case because what i've been doing with that lens is shooting color print film and then yeah and then uh, process, and then uh, uh, digitally processing it as monochrome. 
Yeah. It, it gives you the same place, basically lower contrast and right. Right. Good, good midtones. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that to me, like that 21 millimeter lens, I had a, you know, I, my my one of my go-to's is the 15 millimeter Voigtlander and the 21 it would just kill me because the contrast is so much different between those two lenses yeah and and once i figured out the xp2 super was the right fit for that lens it like solved that problem completely because it looks it's just like it's one of the most perfectly aligned film and lens combos that i that i can think of mm-hmm. um so to me it's like you know i think we we got a conversation about this recently to me it, it's a very urban sort of film um it, it has a certain kind of tonal range to it that to me really fits with like urban landscape stuff versus maybe nature landscape stuff right. if yeah. that makes sense um so it it you know i don't know the, the separation of tones in the mid-tone area is what always bothered me about that lens and it's just the that with that film it's just a complete non-issue mm-hmm. <laughs> So, so yeah, that's, that's definitely a, a go-to combo. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And it's got a knob. It's got the knob. <laughs> yeah. You it's put that knob, knob on there. Baby. It's the knob lens. Oh, the oh, focusing knob. I want it's the LTM it. version of that lens so bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really nice. It's one of my favorites for sure. Wait, Nick, did you say you shoot that lens on a best of T? Yeah. Yeah. So that that is really interesting to me um, because, I mean, obviously you need an external finder with that lens and the Bessa T is probably the best way to shoot uh, with an external finder on, on one of those Bessas. But I've always thought of the Bessa T as a like longer lens camera because um, the, the fact that you're using just a magnified rangefinder patch lets you focus like absurdly accurately. Oh yeah, it's probably the easiest to focus for, with long lenses. I just hardly ever use long lenses on rangefinders. I just don't. Yeah, you know, yeah, me neither. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Same. But, and, it, but and you're right kinda... because because you don't have because it has the Barnack style separate rangefinder and add-on uh, viewfinder combination. It, it's easier to handle. Um, yeah. yeah. And and I have one of those modern uh, Cosina made wide-angle viewfinders that is beautiful and huge and and focusing the wide lens that you don't really even need the range finder unless you're right in someone's face with it and yeah so it's mostly a frame and shoot camera which i like i don't like the distraction of focusing aids if i don't need them you know i'd rather have just a straight viewfinder and forget about that yeah yeah that i mean that camera i think um it's one of those like marmite cameras where you either hate it or just don't get it at all or it totally clicks um and to me i'm so glad that voigtlander made the Bessa t because it it there's something about you know it's it's like the camera directs you in terms of how it wants you to shoot and i really like the fact that they made a modern camera that's like that's like we're not giving you a viewfinder we're just giving <laughs> you a rangefinder and right. do with it what you want right um, yeah, but but it feels great. better than because when you have the extra viewfinder window that you're not using, there's something about that that feels a little bit. Uh, you know, even when I'm shooting my Nikon S2 or my my other Leicas with an external finder on top, I feel kind of dumb switching between the two because you're not supposed to. But then in the case of a Bessa T, where you're still switching between the two windows, but you're supposed to do that, and it just it it feels better to do it that way, you know? Yeah. Yep. 
I, I actually, I have a large number of homemade and adapted medium format cameras that I shoot that way. You know, that uh-huh. homunculus that Ethan Moses made basically because I wanted one is, uh, it's a way to shoot all those Mimia Press rangefinder lenses without the rangefinder. You know, you've just got, uh, I just use it with a scale focus and a viewfinder and it, it frees, I find that it frees me up not having the option of worrying about yeah. the focus. Yeah. Especially with the wider lenses that I tend to want to use. Yep. And one of the other things about that giant viewfinder that uh, Cosina made one that's fun is that I've used it. So <laughs> I've been adapting Minolta lenses to the best of T. Uh, I have a, you know, a M to Minolta, M mount to Minolta mount adapter. And you put the for wide angle, I haven't yet to get around to getting any M mount wide angle, real wide angles beyond 35. And, and that 21, I do have the 21, but the rest of mine are all sort of waiting for some other day to, to spend the money on. And, uh, but you can put a 28 or a 24 Minolta right on that tiny little camera. And when you look through that viewfinder, you can see the entire top of the lens. So you can scale focus with your eye to the viewfinder. You can, you can, oh, yeah, yeah. You can, you can, you know, and sometimes even see the aperture setting. So it's, yeah, it's such a wide angle viewfinder that you can see the whole lens sticking out. And that's kind of fun too. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah when, when I figured out you could see the, the, uh, the numbers on the lens through the Voigtlander 2125 viewfinder. When I'm using my Zeiss 21 Biogon, I was so happy um, mm. because it just it removes one step. But while while we're at all this uh, viewfinder rangefinder talk, the whole time I've had Simon's face magnified on the screen. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> to, to, to watch his facial expression sink deeper and deeper into despair. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, well, welcome to Range Rangefinder Weekly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, all right, yeah. right. We'll get off of that. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> Simon, so we Simon, haven't played Simon, guess your know, I'm sorry. We know Simon doesn't like rangefinders. How do you feel about just a viewfinder without any focusing ability? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, up, up until the time of using uh, an external viewfinder on a, with a Contax G2 and uh, a 21 millimeter Biogon. Um, I had no interest in viewfinders whatsoever, um, and but I found that the experience of using that with that lens with that camera was 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 fantastic. Um, so I, I'm starting to get a bit a bit of an appreciation um, for, for for viewfinders, but it, generally speaking, it means on using them on rangefinder cameras, which sort of defeats the object of photography, uh, in in my opinion. Um, <laughs> No, you can put one on an SLR. It just goes right up there on the top of the pyramid. Oh, yeah, yeah, there is, there is that. There is that. Um, then there's the next step from there, which is my using an old something like a crown graphic with the, the wireframe sports finders. And that, that takes your face completely away from the camera. And you, you're out, your head's out in the world. And it's just sort of an, an aiming device. And that's another yeah. great experience. Actually, the range for for me, range finder seemed to make more sense the um, the the larger the camera. Um, so I've, you know, I have a couple of four by five cameras with range finders on them, and uh, I do want to use them uh, because they they they're handy just to just to check that focus uh, before you take the shot. Because if you're using a, a view camera where 
uh, you're looking through ground glass and then you put in a your uh, your film goes into it you have no way of of checking your your focus at that point so you either get your subject or hopefully the subject isn't moving or you ask the subject not to move um, but if you do have a rangefinder and it's calibrated and that's really the biggest single problem actually with uh, large format uh, rangefinders um, then you can at least check uh, that it's still it's still actually it's still actually in focus or you can adjust the focus even though you can no longer see through the ground glass so i i, I like the idea of that yeah so i use a separate uncoupled rangefinder that way a lot and i you know i have one of those little ones that mm -hmm. some people call yeah. a wattometer mm -hmm. and you can use that with any camera and yep. it's uh it's the same idea it, and i think with the large format too because it's such a shallow depth of field usually um that yeah. it's critical focus and you're right there's that, that that delay when you change the back and then you can't see anymore yeah yeah, yeah the, the water meter has been a bit of a revelation um because i i got it to use on my x-pan with the nikkor tilt shift lens um but one thing that i'd love to try it with is one of those converted uh instax cameras where they've put a like six by nine uh folding camera lens on it and then you have to scale focus uh, the lens and guess the distance. And it seems like a wattometer would be a perfect solution for getting focus on that. Yeah, I've, half the cameras I use, I'm, I'm using that because I, I have so many cameras with... I use Graflock back cameras for almost everything now. And uh, yeah, you're, you're either looking at the ground glass or you're guessing. And that thing just takes all that, makes that really simple. It's turning thing into a Barnack camera, basically. Nick, when you're doing that kind of stuff, how do you calibrate uh, your helical for infinity? Oh, no, sorry, not so, for infinity, uh, to the focus scale so that you could use a yes. rangefinder with it. So most of the time, there's different situations. If it's a, if it's a blank helical, with, you know, that, so my system cameras I'm using now, I just calibrate to infinity and then the scale works because it's a fixed flange back distance. But anything right. where the the lens is moving back and forth on a bellows or a homemade helical or whatever. I actually set up targets and go out on a nice bright day with a loop and, and just check and check. Um, usually if you get infinity, right. And, uh, and something very close, right. The stuff in between, isn't that hard to figure out. Uh, but I do it with targets and, and a measuring tape. I've got, you know, a huge 250 foot cloth tape that I can reel out um, and get far away from things. And then if I'm really trying to be a perfectionist, I'll go to the beach here where I can focus on the opposite bank two miles away. Um, there's a, there's a lot, we're, I'm on Puget Sound, so there's all these big bodies of water with mountains in the distance. So it's like the ideal way to check infinity. Nice. So yeah, direct measurement, that's how. Um, and that's the thing that bugs me about the Graflex cameras and the press cameras. Is you, there's no easy way to change the scale on those. Um, yeah. And that's another reason I've been going to these uh, bayonet mount system versions of those cameras. It just makes things a lot easier. Yeah. So, um, Simon, you have kind of been mostly doing the opposite of Nick, right? In terms of using giant-ass lenses on large format rather than lenses designed for smaller for formats on large format? That'd be right. Uh, you nodded in your head, so yes. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> well, like the Aero Ektar, yeah. what 
what's that designed for? It's, uh, it's aerial five, reconnaissance, right? Yes, yeah, a uh, five by five inch roll film, I believe. And you've been shooting it on what four by five? Yeah. Okay, so, so slightly larger downsizing. Yeah. But have you yeah. tried, apart from the tie year, have you tried it sort of the other way around? Yeah, I haven't. I, I, I did last week uh, with a, a light 200mm uh, f3.6 Elmeron uh, projection lens. Um, oh, I saw that pic of your dad, yeah. That's it, yeah. And, and that was just a, a test shot just to see if the focal plane shutter worked on the, on, on the micropress. And it did, um, along with the... Uh, yeah, you know, 30-odd year expired film that was in there as well. Um, but yeah, that, that's a... I, I don't know exactly what that's for, uh, but I believe it's a medium format projection lens. Uh, but again, it, it's sort of at the longer end. I mean, just to give people an idea, um, a, a normal lens, which we on, say, full frame, we usually talk about something in the vicinity of 50 millimetres. Um, and uh, you go up to 4 by 5 And actually, this is... I was thinking earlier, I mentioned uh, a 6 by 6 lens going on to 4 by 5 and how I was impressed that it managed it. Well, that was going from 6, six centimetres by 6 centimetres onto 4 inches by 5 inches, which is considerably bigger. Um, but sometimes when we, when we talk about the terminology, we can get a little bit... Um, uh, we can forget how, the, how we can actually sound if people don't actually know what we're talking about. Um, but the... Uh, uh, the the light Elmar projection lens. I know it's a medium format projection lens, but I don't know specifically what it's for. Um, but it again, it easily covered four by five, and which is you know a um, a larger a larger format. And it, I'm pretty sure it will actually get to infinity with that as well. Um, but um, and when we were talking about the earlier on about the Tear 33, which is, again, that 6x6 lens, as in 6cm by 6cm, working on a 10x8-inch uh, camera. That 300mm, um, which on, you know, we're used to that being a, you know, a pretty long uh, focal length you know, tele, in the telephoto range. Um, that is just a normal lens. Uh, it's like the equivalent of a 50mm lens on, uh, um, on, a, uh, on a on a full-frame camera. Um, I'm not entirely sure where I was going with this, but I just felt like I need to just explain uh, the, you know, why, you know, what those numbers mean and how they how they work. Yeah, uh, I have one more question here for you, um, Nick, because my my buddy Mike Epstein over here in Hong Kong, uh, we've been chatting about something. And we're not really sure if it's possible. And maybe you've tried it. Uh, he has a Mamiya C330, and uh, we've been trying to figure. Well, he's been trying to figure out whether it's possible to mount those lenses onto a lens board uh, and use them on like an Intrepid or something, because I think you can separate the viewing and the taking lens. So for any listeners who don't know what these are, it's a TLR with uh, interchangeable lenses. Um, right. So you can it's basically you can... a lens board with both lenses on it that you change the whole, the whole thing. To, yes. To get a matched viewing and taking lens. Yeah. So because it seems possible to separate the viewing lens from the taking lens, um, do you know if it's practical to mount that taking lens onto a lens board and use it on something else? Oh, absolutely. And I know Graham Young's done that with C330 lenses. Uh, oh, so sweet. you can use you can use the shutter one if you want um, if you want to have a shutter coming with a lens. So it's a different source than than stealing them from large format, medium format. Um, uh, but the other thing is that the taking or the viewing lens can be really interesting because they're designed as a focusing aid and yeah. they're pretty weird optically. Um, yeah. So, so if you've got a camera with a shutter, you can play with those. 
Uh, the the most recent one that I have, because I've never used any of the C three thirty stuff, but I just found a orphaned. Uh, let's see, what is it? It's a it's a Xenotar, eighty millimeter two point eight, um, mm. and it probably came off a Roloflex. But I found it all by itself in a dusty shop in Tucson for forty bucks and mint condition with a working shutter. And that thing is a great lens. I'm I'm starting to use it and play with it and. Uh, it's and it's really fun. It's like it's free of the it's free of the rolly, so I can use it on uh, bigger formats. It covers at least six by seven. Um, so, anyway, that's fun. And yeah, those are a great source of lenses. So, so would you mount that uh, just by screwing a retaining ring onto the back of it? Because yeah. there's a thread, right? Exactly. At least gotcha. that's what the one I have is. And they did make that lens for other cameras, so I don't know for sure it came off of yeah. it. Yeah. Um, it may have been for something else, but it's it's just like a large format lens. It's got a retaining ring and mounted in a shutter, and you just stick it right on. It's a little bit big, uh, so it will go on lens boards. I tried it on the Century Graphic, which is the baby sized, and it's almost too big because it makes it hard to operate the aperture level lever or or dial on it. Um, so I've got it on a uh, the next size up, which is the three and a quarter by four and a quarter Graflex. And I found a speed graphic in that size, which was useless unless unless you wanted to use the one kind of three by four film out there. Um, but the 20th Century Camera makes an adapter that you can screw right on the back of it in the same screw holes to use four by five film backs. And I have four by five roll film backs. So that combination lets me use a whole lot of lenses with a more modest sized camera. It's a, it's a speed graphic, but it's not giant, gigantic like the four by five ones are. It's a very cool camera. Didn't you end up with or one of those or Simon, or do you have a baby? I've got both speed graphic. I bought, oh, yeah. I, yeah, I bought a, a baby thinking it was a full size one. <laughs> and then, and well, the three by four turns out to be a really cool compromise because it's a modest, moderate sized camera. But it has bellows that go way the heck out well, as long it, as a four it, by five. Yeah, exactly. And, and I must say, you know, listening to you on the homemade camera podcast, uh, talking about the, the 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 baby speed graphic, that actually got me to view that camera in a, in a whole different light. Um, so it is something I do want to give it a go because it seems to be working. And I can put a, again something else I learned from you, Nick, is that uh, I can put an RB back straight onto the back of that. Um, mm -hmm. so which i just happened to have so uh, that 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 made me very happy as well so um i do want to give give that a go and that, that that's the other thing about okay so it's not strictly a large format camera but it's it works exactly like a large format camera but you know large format photographers are all the original adapters uh, yep. of lenses because there were relatively few standard lenses as such you know, you'd buy your camera and then you'd get yourself a lens and then you'd in many cases make a lens board and make the thing fit um so uh, yeah large format um, photographers have been adapting lenses for as long as photography has been around and large format photography has been around so uh and it's it, it's great fun and i'm i've got to say i'm i'm really enjoying using things that were never designed uh, to be used on a large format camera whether that be just because it's a a lens of a of a smaller uh design or yeah, using projection lenses it's 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 easier to use a projection lens on a large format camera than it is to do that to a to a to a to a, a digital camera um because you've got the bellows to help you with the focus it's got it's built-in focusing helicoid um except yeah. it's it's bellows instead so mm -hmm. it's just it's simple 
and you've got a huge range of formats and films once you get into using roll film on them. So one thing I'm doing is I have a, an ancient Cambo rail camera, and that thing has gigantic lens boards. So I'm putting all sorts of different adapters onto those lens boards so that I don't have to unscrew lenses from, you know, I don't have to mess around with uh, a spanner. So I've got, you know, I've got a, I've attached a, a pacemaker Graflex um, front mount right onto a lens board. So those lenses can just be stuck right on that camera. And uh, I've got an M65 threaded one on another lens board so that all the stuff I use on M65 yeah. helicoid, so I can just screw right on there. And, and I keep going and adding more and more things like that uh, so that yeah. I really want to be able to use every lens on every camera without too much faffing around. You know? Yeah, well, that's 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 the other thing. I mean, I've, I've spent, it seems like the first half of this year uh, making lens caps for various uh, cameras and things. And uh, and it, now it's only only really just dawned on me that well I've 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 created mounts for lenses that mm -hmm. I can use those designs and slap them straight onto a baby graphic baby speed graphic as easy as I like you know mm -hmm. all I need to do is just you know, making a lens board that's easy um, so um, so yeah so that that's something <coughs> I, I really I really need to be giving that a go um, and you know your rear lens cap is almost an adapter if you just cut a hole in the back of it. <laughs> well, exactly exactly that's exactly it that's ex that's exactly it so um, so yeah so I'm um, that's you know in interesting exciting times ahead um, now I've got an eye on the clock and I know, Nick, that uh, time is, uh, is is running out for you as far as this podcast is concerned. Um, so I think it's this is probably a good time to start winding things down. We had a, a, quite a few other things to uh, talk about because technically speaking, we've only actually done um, what what have you been up to, Perry, uh, in this podcast? <laughs> you know, we never even got anywhere onto on, onto the rest of us. But it's uh, we have, we have absolutely covered. Um, the areas that we really wanted to cover with you, Nick. So thank thank you for uh, for for being with us with that um, and uh, and and chatting chatting those things through. Um, now be before we disappear, uh, and this is to all three of you guys. Is there anything else that um, anybody wants to get off their chest uh, before we do things like shout outs and things like that? No, not particularly. No. Johnny, Perry. Nope. Okay. Well, let's let's just quickly. I mean, do... just photographically, or just in general? No, uh, just in general. Just well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I want to give you the floor that wide. Uh, but <laughs> no, no, don't, don't, don't go in general. I, I want to get. I, just, I don't want to get arrested. I just heard that Carl Carl, uh, Carl Reiner passed away. So I'm. I'm oh bit, no. I, yeah, I'm a bit sad about that. But um, but that's not really getting anything off my chest, other than being very sad for missing Carl Reiner, but, um, yeah. Well, I actually did think of one thing, which is that I was on this show less than a year ago and it feels like it was four years ago. <laughs> it, it does. Really does. does. It's yeah. weird. And every no, no. damn thing that happened to Perry has happened to us. Certainly me. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's very, very strange. It, yeah. it feels like everything is a contagion, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> that races around the whole planet in in a couple of months. Yeah. 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 Okay. Hopefully, you guys don't have a similar uh, crackdown from your governments. Then. Well, we have the advantage of an utterly incompetent government, which is the only thing saving us from a crackdown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he'd, he'd love to do it. Uh, Nick, I have a totally unrelated question for you. Um, unrelated to cameras, unrelated to 
the world around us. You're you're basically um, near Vancouver, right? Yeah. Is it spot prawn season for you guys? Oh, probably. <laughs> is that is that not a thing across the border? Oh, it is. It is, but uh, but I don't really pay that much attention. Okay, okay. Those are they're, they're, If you haven't had BC spot spot prawns, any listeners, uh, those things are so damn yummy. Um, and get them while they're in season because they're delicious. Yeah, they're good. We have the best crustaceans of every kind. We also have the finest crabs. The dangerous uh, crabs. Oh, I had I had crabs one. <laughs> yeah, but not as big as these. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. They were pretty big, man. They were. They were. I was naming them and everything. Uh, you have to go. You have to go up three or four pant sizes for these crabs. Oh, okay. All right. Oof. Right. Well, I think on on that note. Uh, I think uh, let's um, we, we're not we've got a couple of emails which we'll uh, postpone for for another week um, and uh, we'll also say thank you to those people that have uh, donated to us all we should put it better way have donated to uh, the, the central camera uh, rebuilding fund I'm not entirely sure exactly what the correct name is for that but uh, anybody that's donating to us during the month of June uh, those donations are going to head over to uh, central camera to help the rebuilding there so uh, thank you to those oh. people oh, oh yeah I, I, yeah well yeah I was just gonna say thank you indeed for those people um, they've hit the fund they've hit two hundred and seven thousand dollars on the official fund, plus, you know, little sideline things that are going on. And I've been running the kind of the t-shirt program for them. And we've sold like 400 t-shirts, which is nuts. Um, uh, And they're actually starting to fulfill them. There's a, there was some long kind of COVID related delays, production delays. Uh, So a lot of the, a lot of the t-shirt orders are starting to uh, go out now, which is kind of cool. So, um, but I was going to say central camera, they are um, open for business in front of the shop under a tarp selling film and chemistry and doing processing. So they are actually starting, they are legitimately starting to reopen. I I think at first they were saying they're going to do it once a week, but they're almost doing basically every day right now. So if you go look them up on uh, Facebook, there's pictures of them literally sitting out in front at a folding table under um, a little, uh, you know, tarp thing with the boarded up <laughs> windows behind them. So they're, they're, they're doing it and it's just a little table, but they're selling film and uh, chemicals and stuff. So, so it's, cool. it's helping. That's so thank awesome. you. Uh, and, and there is one other thing for you, Simon. Uh, we haven't played Guess Your Lens yet. Ah, that's very true. Very true. Um, so, so yes, um, as uh, as as now become customary, uh, the uh, people cannot see at home. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm I'm on a webcam using a classic lens on my on my Sony, and uh, and right at the start, I asked Perry to guess. Uh, guess the lens uh, before we started recording, and uh, I just thought uh, would. Uh, See what our uh, uh, Pe- what Perry thinks, what Nick thinks, and what John Johnny is it John W here? Um, Johnny thinks of uh, what my lens might be. So, I think well, you're on a biotar seventy five. I was going to say a Zeiss eighty. I that, the hint is the hint in the background is the half moon uh, Bokakes. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm looking at those half moon Bokakes and thinking about that yeah so so what is it johnny i don't know <laughs> uh i don't either 
Yeah. It doesn't look crappy enough to be your pets full, so it can't be that. The yeah. Jupiter something. <laughs> no, no, I'm gonna. I'll put. I'll put you out your misery. It's fi- by the way. It's a 50 millimeter lens, um, so uh, it's pulling a bit yeah, of a trick off there. If you think it's longer than that, um, and it's a Petri Oracle Kurubanshi. 50 yeah. millimeter f2 i can totally see that i have i have that lens and i can that's i can totally see that because the, the ha- that's why i was saying those half moon uh bokeh highlights around the edges are the really characteristic of that of that lens so mm-hmm. that that makes sense yeah yeah and it makes you look like a celebrity too yeah yeah, yeah. it's like similar to uh yeah he <laughs> <laughs> uh, looks like a celebrity okay well uh, um, okay let's um, have we sort of ha- already sort of half done shout outs or do, are there some more shout outs to come uh, Johnny uh, no that's uh, that, that's all I had I was just a little central camera shout out update okay um, Perry are you going to shout outs uh, shout out to the Chinese government for being amazing. <laughs> <laughs> we need it. Yeah. Hugs and kisses. Yeah. Um, I'll do a quick shout out for some breaking news that happened while we were on the podcast, and that was uh, uh, Mike com as uh, as has uh, just put out a post for uh, his review of the Kia fifteen TTL. Um, which is a camera I I was unfamiliar with, and I'm really really confused uh, looking what? at it um, because it appears to be it is, appears to be an SLR using Kiev lenses, um, which can't happen um, because that's illegal. Um, <laughs> so um, um, so uh, yeah, so uh, I I need to do some reading on that. He, he's he's Mike is another one who's overdue for a, a reappearance here on the podcast. So agree, maybe we can, may, yeah, maybe we can get him on and and have him explain explain this. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah, def, definitely. We need we need to get Mike back. So uh, so that that's uh, that's my shout out, um, uh, Nick. Um, it's been a been a pleasure having you back with us again, and it was actually back in March uh, last year when you were with us. So it's uh, well over a year now. Um, oh, yeah. So no wonder everybody knows you from uh, the uh, the fabulously popular podcast, the Homemade Camera Podcast, which goes out is it once every two weeks? Is that is that about yeah. right? Yes, that's yeah. it. And that's with Graham Young and Ethan Moses. Um, where else can people uh, see the? Because we've not talked about what your day job is which is pretty fascinating we did talk about it before but it's worth just reminding people what it is that you uh, you you do um and where, where can people see the kind of things that you that you're up to well most of my day job is making uh, forged steel sculpture and architectural ironwork mostly for public art contexts but at the moment i happen to be building a a, stru- a building a structure for somebody uh which oh, is wow. something else i do now and again and it it dovetailed with the Everything else shutting down. One of the last things you're left allowed to do around here is construction outdoors. And so I just happened to have a friend who needed a building built for them, and uh, timing was good. Uh, but by this winter, I'll be back making sculpture again. That'll all be firing up again. So that's my normal job. Um, the best place to see the, the homemade camera efforts of mine is actually Flickr because I post a lot there. And, and also it needs love. Not enough people are... are around Flickr anymore. So Nick Lyle on Flickr. Um, and if you want to see sort of a few pictures, 
pictures now and then uh, Instagram. I use Avinick, A-V-Y-N-I-C-K uh, as a handle. And that's the main. Uh, and I'm pretty active on your Facebook group. And the Homemade Camera Podcast Facebook group is also starting to really fire up. Uh, a lot of people have been joining it, I guess, maybe because they're sitting at home wondering what to do. And uh, um, so that those are the main places. And I wanted to throw in one shout out, which is if you listen to the New York Times daily podcast from Sunday, just past, there's a, a bio piece on Robert Frank, which is really worth listening Ooh, to. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That's it. Okay, well, um, I just, just want to mention the, the Homemade Camera podcast again because uh, I, I think it's, it's for listeners of this podcast, there's the, there were a lot of natural um, crossover subjects uh, that happened with that podcast. Um, so uh, those of you who are quite uh, geeky about these things, which is pretty much everybody um, <laughs> that listens yeah. to this show, um, I think there's, uh, you could you could get a lot out of that that show. And uh, and certainly the the earlier shows were were, were detail about how you how you, uh, you know, what certain things did in do do in a camera. And then uh, the later shows are more uh, talking about uh, more about the, the, the general things, or, uh, or and you've been doing more guests uh, recently as well, which have been absolutely fantastic as well. So uh, um, great, great show, and um, so keep keep that one up, Nick. Um, Thanks. That's it. So uh, Perry, outside of this show, how can people follow you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Flickr at Perry G. And Johnny, how about you? Mm, no. Not happening. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, if anybody wants to get in touch with the, in touch with us on the show, what's the what are the best means of getting in touch with us? Uh, classic lenses podcast at gmail.com or simply go to the classic lenses podcast website. But don't send the email from there because it goes to Simon's spam folder. Correct. Correct. Yeah, and, but, uh, but 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 yeah. but you should go there. You should go to classiclensespodcast.com and you you can check out all the notes from each episode and you can buy t-shirts and stuff so you should go do that that's right that's that's absolutely right and um um your voice has been a bit strange today uh, johnny uh we're gonna address the elephant in the room <laughs> yeah. i i it, it sounds perfectly normal to me so i you know i'm taking your guys's word for it <laughs> I, I don't a, think it sounds any different whatsoever for me today, so I have to trust what you're saying. I'm, I'm just thinking there are people that have never listened to this show before, and this is the first time they've tuned in, so they're going to have a bit of a shock when they when they hear you in other shows. So I thought I'd just give the, you know, let let people understand this isn't the normal Johnny. Um, <laughs> if, if there is such a thing, what the fuck is a normal Johnny? That doesn't make any. That's like a contradiction in terms, anyway. Yeah, exactly. special guest, uh, special guest Eric Cartman for this yeah. episode with Nick Lyle. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're not going to explain what's happened, but there you go. Um, <laughs> um, so, it's my uh, fault, though. It's, Perry, it's Perry's fault. Yeah. 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 Um, okay, well, uh, on on that note, uh, let's uh, finish things off. Our music is by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Uh, it's called Octo Blues. Um, and that's it. So I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. And if you can, be like Carl. <laughs>